0: The Digital Banking podcast is powered by Typhoon. Typhoon is a dramatically better digital banking provider. Our appeal is unique. We collaborate closely with our customers and the banking ecosystem in an open approach coupled with a powerful user experience that helps get things done. On our podcast, you will hear how digital banking plays a leading role for community-minded financial institutions from the unique perspectives of our industry expert guests. You
1: know, your podcast hasn't officially made it until there's ads in it. But this is one you're not going to want to skip past and, well, if you do, feel free to hit that fast forward 15 seconds button twice. Ever wonder what gives me my energy and enthusiasm during these podcasts? You know, outside of my relentless desire to learn about, connect, share and build up community FIs and their mission to support the communities they serve? It's coffee <laughs> and lots of it. Now, You want to know what's better than your regular old coffee? How about donating $5 to the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals through credit unions for kids every time you purchase high-quality, ethically-sourced coffee that also provides living wages to coffee farmers? So if you want to listen to this episode with epic levels of caffeine-induced focus and help kids in need, head to javaforkids.org to learn more and buy a bag or 10. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Banking Podcast. My guest today is Mark Seabright, the founder of Seabright & Associates. And when I asked Mark to tell me about himself the first time we met, he said, quote, I have an intense curiosity to learn something today that I did not know yesterday. And in a world where financial institutions largely do things the way they've always done them, this really allows him to look at the big picture of kind of how do we secure our future? And I'm not gonna lie, personally, when somebody says something like, I have an intense curiosity, I'm intrigued. I wanna know more. So Mark, I I appreciate you being on the podcast today. Josh, it's great to be here. real honor and I've enjoyed meeting you. Okay, so you gotta fill us in on this from the very start. So you say you have an intense curiosity to learn about our industry. Why do you feel like this industry needs someone thinking about it from
0: that perspective? Well, Josh, I've always believed throughout my career that one of the primary roles of a leader is to try to find and secure the future for an organization. That's kind of the primary responsibility. The future is really hard to find. I don't know if you've noticed that. Wait, you don't have a crystal ball? I do not. I wish I did. (laughs) I really do. And so what I find is, Gathering knowledge and improving the awareness of industries beyond financial services really helps inform how I view our industry. And so as often as I can, I try to look at developments that are happening outside our ecosystem and understand how they're going to affect us and our journeys and the journeys of my clients. And I think the other thing I do specifically to answer your question, Josh, is I help my clients to zoom out when most of the time they're forced to zoom in. And what I mean by that is, you know, many executives, incredibly busy driving initiatives forward. They're focused on today's to-do list or this quarter's strategic initiative. And they're not always thinking about the bigger picture in terms of zooming out and seeing a trend that's beginning to happen, potentially a paradigm shift. And we're starting to see a number of paradigm shifts taking place in our industry. So that's the gap I try to fill.
1: So, you know, I feel like this is a question that I've been asking a lot of guests on our podcast, and I think it's worth re-asking for you, because I'm curious to get your perspective on it. You know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about hosting this podcast is getting to see others' perspectives, and hopefully giving me some unique insight into other ways of approaching things. And I think that there's this huge narrative in our industry right now about digital transformation. and. I feel like if I ask five people what that means to them, I get six answers. So I'm curious, are you the sixth answer? So, What is your answer to, you know, what does digital transformation mean to a community-minded
0: financial institution? Great question. Josh, I've got a little bit of a leg up here because two years ago, I co-authored a book called Digital Life with an executive from Microsoft. And the first working session we had on the book, I can't believe you asked me that question. So coincidental. The first thing we did was try to define digital transformation. What does it mean? And the definition we came up with, and we haven't, you and I haven't even rehearsed this. This is great. (laughs) The definition we came up with was it's an opportunity to reimagine how your business delivers value and how it operates. And in doing so, it's in four dimensions, Josh. It's about your people, your technology, your data. And your process. And so, taking those four dimensions and reimagining how you do business and how you bring value to those you serve is the essence of digital transformation. It is not, and you know how much of a fan I am of Typhoon, it is not trying to figure out what your next digital banking solution should be. I've met so many people, Josh, who say, Oh, I get digital transformation, it's deciding what our next mobile banking app should be. It isn't. It's about taking the entire organization and reimagining it.
1: I couldn't agree more. I really want to dive into each one of those four. Would you mind taking a minute just to walk us through tangibly, what does that mean for an organization that wants to, quote, have digital transformation?
0: What do they need to do in each of those four areas? Great. So on the people side, let's take that first, because no matter what we say or do today, Josh, in the context of digital, I would argue that people continue to make the difference inside organizations. We could have as much technology as people can throw at us. People will always be the difference makers. So the first step I always encourage my clients to take is to make certain that they have a digital mindset. They get their culture right. Oh gosh, we could spend all day talking about culture, but having the culture right, adopting that digital mindset. And then from a resource perspective, staying with this people theme or talent theme, we've got to make certain that we have the right mix of talent and skills inside our organization to be able to execute on transformation. The second piece, the technology itself, this is fundamental. It's called digital transformation for a reason, right? Digital is the key word in that. Technology is changing, as you know, as well as anyone just about as rapidly as we can cope with. I mean, perhaps we could argue it's changing faster than we can cope with. And no matter which day of the week we're in, Josh, as we look forward, that day will be the slowest pace of change day in the evolution of technology. Tomorrow will be the slowest pace of technology change for the rest of our lives. And we'll keep saying that over and over and over again. So technology's changing very quickly. We have to understand what technology resources we need to bring to bear and what we can afford to bring to bear inside our organizations. As you know, I spend a lot of time with credit unions, and one of the great, I think, drawbacks of our system is that we are limited in resources. We do have two-thirds of our credit unions today, Josh, in this country that drive only 6% of credit union assets. So we have 3,000 or so credit unions that are only driving a very small percentage of our assets. Resources, therefore, are limited. And the resource scales, of course, are biased towards the larger credit unions, the 400 or so above a billion dollars in assets. So whatever we do with technology has to be in function of our resource to both acquire and consume it. I think we need a very clear technology understanding as part of transformation. Data my gosh, we are probably one of the most data-rich organizations on the planet. We know more about our members than most businesses know about their customers. The challenge we have is that data is often sitting in different places inside our organization. Oftentimes, the quality of that data is not too good, and we need to spend time and effort making sure that that data is of the highest quality and that we have a clear view of each of our member relationships. So data and becoming data-driven in our organization is very important. And the final thing is process. With all your experience, Josh, I bet you've never seen a situation where technology makes a bad business process better. In other words, if we have a bad business process and we just port that to a new technology, well, guess what? The new technology is not going to work very well. We have to be focused on changing our business processes. And perhaps technology can enable that but never take a bad business process to a new technology. You've just created a more expensive operating model. So be really focused on business process. And particularly as it relates to our business, how can we make the member and employee experience better? So those are very high level are the four dimensions as I see them.
1: You made a comment I wanted to come back to that culture is a really important part of this. Talk to me a little bit about why you feel the culture of the organization and the people are some of the, as you say, biggest drivers to being able to accomplish something like digital transformation.
0: Yeah, my gosh, we really could spend all day talking about that. Let me try and give kind of a real world example that I think a lot of people can relate to. The press is full right now of all of the changes going on in the NFL. Tom Brady is unretired, right? There's lots of trades. He's retired. He's unretired. He's retired. He's he's unretired. Yeah.
1: Right. Hey, side note, at this point, I just want to see the dude like win 11. So they try and figure, like, do they make (laughs) him a toe ring at that point? I don't know.
0: (laughs) I love it. So back when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl, Josh, and to answer your culture question, Here were the Super Bowl advertisers, okay? Here we go. AOL, Blockbuster, Circuit City, Sears, Yahoo. Get the picture? Tom Brady's still playing. Many of those companies are not. Uh And there's a reason for that. There's actually a cultural focus that was missing. You see, I would argue that many of those corporations that I just mentioned did not have a change-driven culture or... Perhaps to say it better, they didn't have a focus on what the future might look like for their organizations. In many cases, they were not focused on that paradigm shift that was very visible for some of them. They could actually see the future, but they failed to embrace it. I think if you draw a sporting comparison, and let's go back to to Tom Brady, he could see the future. He knew what it would take for him to be viable as a quarterback 20 years later. And as we all know, whether we're fans or not, he adapted his lifestyle, his behavior, his own culture in function of trying to do that. As an organization, we have to make certain that we are open to change. We try to keep our finger on the pulse of trends that are going to impact our business and that we make decisions as leaders that are meant to advance our organizations and keep us playing over the long haul, keep us relevant over the long haul than just getting through the next quarter or the next 12 months. There's a lot so, to be learned from that. I'm interested
1: your take on, you kind of have to have few of the ingredients, right? You can't make a cake with just flour. You need a few other things. So let's say we've got a credit union, billion in assets, let's give them a reasonable size and some resources, but they've got this culture for change. Even they... Are at a severe disadvantage to the resources available to Chase or Wells Fargo, insert any major banking institution. So, what's the equalizer, or is there even one for them? And they may have all the culture, they have all the spirit, all the drive, all the desire, but they just they don't have the funds, they don't have the resources, they don't have the expertise. So, how do they compete? When you know, we'll talk about some of their less black and white competition, but you know their direct black and white competition, the megabanks, you know, how do they compete with that? Yeah, great question.
0: I think you have to, first of all, find what it is that truly makes you distinctive in that market in which you're operating. What is it that makes you stand out and focus your entire energy and resources on leveraging that, Josh? And that could be a hundred million dollar credit union or a hundred billion dollar You know, a navy of this world type credit union. Focus on that point of distinction, and then the thing that's critically important, and I think a lot of organizations struggle with this, is prioritization. Very often, we spread ourselves too thin in terms of the number of initiatives we're trying to take on. It's really hard to prioritize because it means you have to say no to many things in order to say yes to those that are most important in terms of impact to your business. Some could say, well, that's easier said than done. You know, if you're sitting in my seat, they might say running a credit union, how do I possibly do that? We well, have to do it because it's a key method of survival. Find what, you, what makes you distinctive. Organize your organization to leverage that in whatever way you can. And make certain that you prioritize how you spend resources on those that make the most difference. There are so many shiny new toys, Josh, in our industry today. I'm overwhelmed, I don't know about you, about how much cryptocurrency has suddenly risen to the surface. Going back to our Super Bowl comment, we had Super Bowl advertising this year around cryptocurrency. Yeah. And we're seeing major sponsorship of sporting events by cryptocurrency companies now. I'm not out there waving the banner of cryptocurrency, Josh. I think there are other priorities our credit unions have to get to before they get to crypto. Now, yeah. that doesn't make me anti-crypto. I'm actually a fan of the initiative. I think it's going to change our industry over the long haul but it's not going to change our industry over the next two or three years. So in that case, my preference would be, let's focus resources on something other than that at this particular point in time, and let's not get distracted by it. So focus is a, is a big part of the message that I try to bring to my clients.
1: You said something in your opening remark, you said that you felt one of the imperatives of a leader is to focus on the future viability of that organization right? And when you talk about, we call them internally, we call them shiny squirrels. (laughs) We're not just (laughs) chasing squirrels, we're chasing shiny squirrels. you got all these shiny squirrels running around. How do you as a leader look at and say, hey, you know what? The, The industry as a whole may be saying, you know, this crypto craze is important. They're going to take over our business. We've got to get in now. What do our members want? How do you as a leader of a credit union say, no, you know what? That's not my priority. My priority, because it actually provides meaningful benefit and value to my members today, is to automate this process that is painful for them today and it's manual for them today. So that element of digital transformation is more important to me than just being able to say, buy Bitcoin in mobile banking.
0: Exactly. Great question. You always bring it back to the impact it's going to have on your membership if you're a credit union leader. How impactful is something like cryptocurrency going to be today, next year, the year after on your membership versus spending that money or taking that time to improve how your online or mobile banking application works? Because we know that the relative priority of those two things today is very different. If you ask me, Josh, decide how to invest $100 today, make your digital online experience better than it is, or launch a cryptocurrency initiative. It wouldn't take me very long to make that decision. Now, in five years' time, when hopefully we've evolved and we've got really good digital experiences for our members, it may then be appropriate to switch the investment priority over to something like crypto or another innovation that we think is going to have a long tail to it. To talk about your shiny squirrels, shiny squirrels with long tails is what we're really looking for, right? So I think it becomes part of your regimen or discipline as a leader to be able to have that clarity of thought, and frankly, to be able to close your ears sometimes or close your eyes to those shiny squirrels and the noises they're making in favor of knowing that you're focused on what's important for your membership. I really believe that. So to use crypto as an example,
1: Yeah, playing devil's advocate here, maybe crypto is not the thing that They need to put an immediate focus on today. Maybe it doesn't have the immediate focus today, but how do you look at, and again, I'm just using crypto as an example for lots of other areas, but how do you look at that and say, well, it may not have an immediate impact if I do or don't do something today, but if I don't start something today, I'll be at a significant disadvantage to be able to do anything in the future. I.e., you know, I talk to a lot of credit unions that say, hey, we've been pulling some of our ACH reports and we see a lot of money go into Coinbase and Robinhood and insert name of new shiny platform on Super Bowl commercial, right? Right. And so they're seeing a lot of money leave their institution and they're wondering, hey, do I need to start hedging my bet today so that it doesn't get so far so fast ahead that I
0: can't do anything about it later? Right. How do you balance that? So if it becomes a critical priority for a credit union, if they really are seeing let's just hypothetically assume it, Josh, they're seeing that outflow of funds or they're seeing something happen with Robinhood that they think should be happening with them, then that in itself becomes a strategic priority, right? It becomes something that's important to them. I'm not convinced yet that cryptocurrency outflow is meaningful enough for it to rise to the surface of our strategic priorities. But there could be some other thing. Let's give an example. The actions of Chime in our market, right? Great example where we're seeing an organization that simply adapted when your paycheck arrived in your account, started to change a market. Many credit unions have followed suit. So they made it a priority. Contactless payment cards, Josh, a couple of years ago, were a nice to have for many credit unions and suddenly became a strategic priority, especially with the impacts of COVID. So I'm not advocating that you ignore all the shiny new squirrels. I'm advocating that you assess their potential impact on your business. Really good example, going back to a previous life of mine, I once made a pitch to the post office in the early 2000s that email and other forms of internet services were going to impact their business. This was, I think, 2001 or 2002, so a long time ago. I was almost thrown out of that meeting, Josh, for my views, because no one could see beyond what the basics were of the mail service or the postal service in this country. If that executive team had the foresight to say smartphones are coming and we could see the iPhone being launched in 2007 and the internet taking off as it did, they may have had a different business model in their strategy than the one they ended up with. What we're seeing today, I think we'd all agree, is an organization or an entity that's kind of struggling to adapt in this new digital world. And the way they're adapting to that is to say that we're going to actually reduce the service that we offer our customers who are using the postal service. Just to give you an example, they may have been right at the time to dismiss some of my thoughts But what they really should have done was look five, seven, ten years out and ask themselves: Could this happen? Could this impact our business? And I think there are many areas who've seen that. I mentioned Blockbuster, you know, earlier, Josh, in the context of the Super Bowl advertising. Blockbuster wasn't disrupted by technology. People out there who think that Netflix killed Blockbuster with technology—they didn't. They killed Blockbuster with convenience. Yeah. The game changer was. I'm going to come to your mailbox in a red envelope with a DVD that you just ordered, and you don't have to go to the store to get it. What Netflix did, which was really game-changing, was they kept pace with technological change. Yeah. Right? A lot of people think Netflix started as a streaming service. It started in your mailbox. It was a convenience play. That's also a good
1: example of, I think, especially with very successful legacy businesses, I wish I could remember who made the comment to me recently so I could credit them. But somebody I was talking to recently made a comment about a community bank. And they said, you can be a really crappy community bank. And if you're the CEO of a really crappy community bank, you can still make a pretty reasonable living. Like It's pretty hard to screw up that business. And when you're in a business that is fairly successful, fairly sound, has fairly established guidelines for what you do and how it operates. I think one of the things that can be a challenge is what we opened with of, well, this is how we've always done it. And I think Netflix is a good example of, they technically cannibalized their own business, right? They got rid of the mail DVDs to you business and went to streaming before somebody else came to Netflix and said, We're going to do streaming. You don't even need to get it from your mailbox anymore. We're going to put it on your TV, right? So Blockbuster gets beat by convenience of Netflix sending it to the mailbox. But somebody could have beat Netflix and said, we're going to go a step further. But Netflix did it to themselves, right? Yes. So what examples do we as community FIs need to look at and go, hey, you know what? Someone
0: is going to disrupt this. Is it going to be me? Or my competitor. Absolutely. And I think that's a great example. And if you think about industries, Josh, right? I was just reading a story that the longest imprisoned journalist was released a couple of years ago from Uzbekistan of all places. Now, I know Ukraine, Russia has been in the news for all the wrong reasons lately, but this journalist whose name was Yusuf Ruzamuradov was imprisoned in 1999, was released in 2018. So you know, nineteen years of imprisonment. This really went under the radar screen. And when Yusuf came out of prison, not having had a lot of contact with the outside world, he said, What have I missed? Can you imagine, Josh, if he asked you that question? What did I miss from nineteen ninety-nine to twenty eighteen? Now, in that time frame, my point is this industries were transformed. And his industry as a journalist, the news industry, to your point about Netflix? change fundamentally thousands of newspapers went out of business in this country josh in that time frame thousands of them i think it was something like 2200 newspapers went out of business in the space of 6 years in well, this country and if they had had the foresight and the willingness to embrace digital and if they could see those signs that were evident online with social media you know, rising up from 2004 onwards, they could have adjusted their business models. If they saw the future, they refused to embrace it. I'm fortunate enough that working with my clients, I love them all, of course, I can literally honestly say I do not have a CEO in my client base, Josh, who isn't thinking about the future, who isn't worried about how his or her credit union is going to be relevant tomorrow. A quick story about a decade ago, Kuna invited me to speak at their CFO council. You know, the Kuna has these various councils that it really affect. You're very plugged in in this industry. So I spoke with the CFO CFO council and I think my opening words were, the problem you all have. Yeah, it's a great opening, right, Josh? You, yeah, it gets people's attention. You spend way too much time focusing on the solvency of your business and way too little time focusing on its relevancy. And the point I was trying to make was, our industry is going through a paradigm shift, and we have to be deeply concerned about how we're going to continue to remain relevant to our members in a world where, as you said a few minutes ago, the Robin Hoods and the Chimes and the cryptocurrency companies and Apple and Amazon and others are trying to make a play for what we have. I actually think and I'm not trying to be dramatic, Josh I actually think that our business right now is it one of the most important inflection points in its history. I really, genuinely believe that our industry is going through a massive transformation, and we'd better get ready for it, because our relevance and survival depends on how well we do. You know, this brings us back to
1: your four points from earlier. One of those was data. Yeah. So... My humble opinion, if you're going to go chase shiny squirrels, chase ones based on data. Right? So you made the comment that I think community financial institutions even sit on mountains of data and know far more about a consumer than Amazon does. But Amazon does a way better job of pitching relevant products to me than my credit union does.
0: Why? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, when we talk about culture and being and having a digital mindset, Amazon's vision is to be the world's most customer centric company. Now that doesn't say a lot about the businesses that Amazon is in, Josh, but it says everything about the culture that Bezos and his successors are, are establishing. We have the opportunity to be perhaps the most data-driven organizations in industry in, in corporate America, because we do have diamonds in our own backyard. There's so much we know about our members. The struggle we have is how to harness that data. So there's a technology solution to that, of course, and many credit unions are starting to pursue that. But there are also business processes and tools that we can use to make sure that we can leverage that data. I'm right there with you, Josh. And You know, your opinion may be not so humble because I think it's spot on. I think everybody should be listening to you. Data is one of the critical success factors for us as a movement. We're going to have to become so in tune with what our members want from us. Sometimes, often before we know it, I once heard a story, Steve Jobs, I know he's no longer with us, rest his soul, but he once told colleagues at Apple that he didn't believe in consumer research. Because customers at Apple didn't know what they wanted until he showed it to them. Now, we could argue with that, right? Or rather, we could agree with that and say, I didn't ask for an iPhone. I never asked for an iPad. I never asked for AirPods. But when they were shown to me, my gosh, I love them. And they were actually, in many ways, life-changing. Hence the success that companies like Apple have had. We have to have a very similar approach in terms of how we harness data, what is it telling us about the products and services? We have to make or deliver or develop for our members that's going to make us compelling in their lives and make us very relevant to how they live their lives. That's what we have to work at. So what do you think that process looks like? Oh, gosh. I mean, it begins with strategy. It really does begin in the boardroom. It begins with the board and the senior leadership team of the credit union developing and defining a clear vision and sense of purpose for what this credit union is going to be. Then it's all around, how do we become distinctive enough in our markets to be able to deliver against that vision? And then it becomes a definition of initiatives and objectives that take you there. That all sounds very easy, Josh, and I have just sort of condensed probably two years' worth of effort for a credit union to to even get to that point. But essentially, that's it. In defining the sort of initiatives and objectives, I think we've also got to be broader in our thinking of saying there are now organizations out there that we can embrace and partner with that can help us achieve our goals. We can't do it all on our own. On the topic of fintechs that we've touched on today. I think there are good fintechs and bad fintechs, Josh. Mm. The good fintechs are companies like yours who are trying to help credit unions be better. The bad fintechs are the ones who are trying to steal what you already have. Your credit cards, your debit cards, your loans, your deposits. Those companies have no interest whatsoever in working with credit unions. Robin, that's probably a really good example to your only a comment. But there are thousands of fintechs out there that are trying to make us better. And we need to be more open-minded. I had a conversation with some CEOs recently, and I asked them, kind of knowing the answer, so it was kind of unfair a little bit, Josh, how many fintechs is CUNY Mutual Group investing in today on behalf of credit And there were some didn't even know, and I don't blame them because they're busy people, that CUNY Mutual Group was investing in fintechs, let alone come up with the right answer. Well, there are more than 40, apparently. Oh. Well, we ought to understand that, Right. And we ought to be taking time to understand better companies like yours and others that can help us be better. I think that's going to be a big part of our future is partnership and collaboration. How do you identify the foe? Yeah. So the enemy, actually, it's really interesting for us in financial services. We have a highly consolidated financial services industry in the United States, yet we have thousands of financial institutions. What do I mean by that? Chase, Bank of America, Wells and City have about 45% of all banking assets in this country, just the four of them, Josh. They are, in the case of Chase, which is the largest by asset size, $3.3 trillion in assets. It's one and a half times the size of the entire credit union. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that Chase is a foe. Ironically, Jamie Dimon, who, by the way, for whom I have huge regard and respect as a leader, does not stay a week at night worrying about credit I hate to say that, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know what he stays a week at night worrying about? FinTechs. And he said as such in numerous investor presentations. So I think we have to say, look, our foe is within our industry. We know who they are. They're the local large banks that we're competing with. The local, regional banks that we're competing with, and perhaps even the community banks just down the road from our credit union, we can—you and I—could take a whiteboard pretty much for any credit union in this country, Josh, and draw their competitive landscape as it relates to those that operate within the financial system. Yeah, the real danger today are from those companies, or additional danger that are operating outside the financial system. Who are these fintechs? The bad fintechs. Some of them might be monoline product fintechs today. They're only offering one product to potentially our credit union members. Tomorrow, they're going to offer multiple products until such time as they hit that regulatory barrier and they have to decide, are they going to become properly regulated financial institutions, i.e. banks, and play in our sandbox, or are they going to continue to just operate on the fringe? It's really important that we identify who those fintechs are. You said it earlier. When you look at our ACH files or you look at our data, you can see your members have relationships somewhere else. And it's important to understand that and then be able to respond to it.
1: I'm curious how you respond to this. So one of the things that I've heard from many guests that come on this show is the fear of some of the not just fintech, but big tech movement into the traditional banking ecosystem. And I actually am going to have here in a couple of weeks, a couple of guests from Amazon. Oh, um, interesting. From their financial services sector. And I had a very, very interesting conversation with them in DC a couple of weeks ago. And What I found fascinating was I didn't lead them in any way to this statement, and they made this statement. They said, absolutely, credit unions need to be scared of tech pushing in. They already are. To your point, Chimes and Robinhoods, they're coming in. And Amazon said, so do you want to know how you go beat big tech? Bigger tech. (laughs) And they said, we're the biggest tech there is. Stop thinking of us as the enemy and start thinking us as a solution provider. Yeah. And use us to make you better at what you do, which is back to your point from earlier. Find your unique and be the best you can be at that. So their point was leverage our technology, our infrastructure, our architecture to build digital processes that mean that your credit union doesn't have to do anything other than be a really
0: good credit union. I'm curious your take on that. Well, there's a lot of merit to that statement, Josh. I love it. You put it very eloquently too. Amazon with Amazon Web Services has a massive technology capability that most Amazon consumers don't understand about them, right? The average Amazon shopper does not know about Amazon Web Services unless they're a company executive or somebody in that business in the technology space. So Amazon has created a fantastic capability to enable data and data processing. What they've also built is an incredible data analytics engine. Both of those things give them a massive advantage if they ever wanted to truly become a mainstream financial institution. Now, remember, Josh, and you know this, they're already a financial services player, correct? Because Amazon has been issuing credit cards and other loan products and so on for a number of years now, often through financial partners, including some of the banks that we've mentioned. The play, I think, for credit unions is, yes, through their technology partners, perhaps not directly, but through their technology partners, they're going to be accessing some of Amazon's technologies. I'm curious, though, how Amazon could think about supporting or building products that could be co-branded or co-sold with credit unions. I struggle to get my head around that, Josh. And part of the lens I'm looking through when I have that opinion is how Google, as you'll recall, just a few years ago, tried to enter the checking account market through myriad partnerships with banks and credit unions. They made a lot of noise about it. How much noise have we heard lately, Josh, about Google checking? Not a lot. Right? Not a lot. Google is outstanding at its core business, at what makes it distinctive, and is really struggling to extend that into a new market. Credit unions similarly, I think, and Amazon also, have to be just very focused on what their core business is. And of course, look at opportunities to leverage companies that can help them, whether it's Amazon, Typhoon, or somebody else, but not get distracted by it. I really believe Amazon has to enter mainstream financial services. It has to. It's just a natural extension of its business. But would it do it through partnerships or through a formal structure that it owns entirely? My money would be on the latter. I think Amazon would want to own and control its play in financial services. I could be wrong, but that's my take.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting. That's one of the questions that I really look forward to picking yeah. brain. So one of the things that I actually didn't realize until just very recently, and this introduction was actually made through a customer of ours, is Amazon actually has a team dedicated internally to credit unions. Yeah, And- so it was interesting to see, you made the comment about Amazon, their business model, right? And right. their focus on being the most customer centric organization. Yeah. And I think they do. They, there's a fork in the road for them. And I don't know what the answer to the left or the right is. I know. And it's, do they go and do it themselves? Or do they say there's more power and benefit and ease of revenue for us to just go and support infrastructurally through AWS and other means yes. this industry.
0: Well, it's I can't wait to listen to that podcast. But Josh, to quote an old saying, I think it was Yogi Bear or the Yogi Yankees or someone said, if you see a fork in the road, take it, right? And I think Amazon has the scale and the size to literally go in both directions. Yeah. Right? They could say, look, we're going to make a mainstream financial services play in our own right, And also, we're going to see whether there's some collaborative opportunities down there because we're Amazon. You're
1: not wrong there. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about companies of their size is in some of my conversations with them, they made similar comments. And they said, look, if we wanted to just come in and disrupt financial services, we would have. Yes. (laughs) We're Amazon.
0: It would scare you how fast we can move if we want to. And I was like, oh, yikes. Okay. (laughs) You said it, Josh. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm intrigued, right, by an Apple. Now, I'm an ex-MasterCard guy, so I spent my time in the payment systems world. It intrigues me that Apple reinvented the credit card industry through its Apple card. And when I say it reinvented the credit card industry, Josh, I'm trying not to get too carried away, but think about how the Apple card actually works. I was able to go on my iPhone, took me about 30 seconds to apply for the Apple card for research purposes, because I'm supposed to stay on top of all this stuff, right? It's my job. And in 30 seconds, on my phone was a live credit card with a credit line ready to use. In 30 seconds. I opted to take the real-world version of the card, Josh, because I wanted to research this whole thing. When it showed up, it wasn't plastic, it was titanium. The way I activated that card wasn't to dial a 1-800 number or go online. Just show the box it came into my phone. And the card was activated. And then when I use the product again for research purposes, you should see the data that I'm able to see inside the app and also the cash rewards that would be available if I used it enough to me as a consumer. Why was it that we didn't invent that product? After an industry has been around for more than 50 years, dominated by financial institutions, A big tech came and reinvented it. Now, I think here's the reason. They had a clean sheet of paper. They were thinking really seriously about what consumers needed. They didn't have the anchor of legacy businesses and legacy technologies. And they also had an incredible leg up in terms of their massive smartphone distribution. And the affinity that people have for Apple products. So they had a lot of things going for them, in other words. But isn't it ironic that they came along out of nowhere and reinvented a business that was 50 years old?
1: No, it's a great point. I mean, a lot of the things that you said that make Apple able to do what they did, MasterCard's got that. Visa's got that.
0: Absolutely. Well, ironically, they needed to partner with Goldman Sachs, that the consumer credit card in its history, by the way, in order to have the legal wherewithal, an ability to issue that credit card because MasterCard, who they issued it through, has its standards, Josh. You have to be a properly regulated financial institution to issue the product. They chose Goldman Sachs. I don't think any of us would see Goldman Sachs as a threat to Apple. So they chose well. And Goldman Sachs just started appealing to another consumer base with mm-hmm. its core business. So that was a good marriage made in heaven, potentially, but just ironic to me that we didn't you know we meaning the financial industry didn't invent that product they did
1: i really struggle with this one mark i do because i you know one of the things i loved is i loved to watch some of the old talks given by steve jobs yeah right it's just fascinating to hear the way that he was thinking and the way he approached things and it was very quote different but i have to imagine you know, you said earlier, none of your credit union CEOs that you work with are not thinking about the future. Right, right. We've got some very brilliant people in our industry. So these conversations have to be happening. Somebody out there may even listen to this episode, is sitting there with some crazy idea that's going to get shot down by our industry. And five years from now, Apple, Amazon, Google, they're going to launch it. And that person's going to go, I, holds you. (laughs) So how do we change that mindset in our industry? How do we become that revolutionary and say, we've got to be the catalyst for change within our own environment. We've got to be the cannibals of our own way of doing things.
0: Right. What do you think needs to, to happen? To your point earlier, Josh, we have to Netflix ourselves, right? We have to be willing to cannibalize our business. So. Again, this sounds easier to say than actually do, but executives do need to adapt different thought processes. So that's job number one. But secondly, and and I'm not advocating for this necessarily, Josh, I'm just saying, when I see people from outside the industry come into our movement, they have a really meaningful impact. I'm seeing more and more situations where Credit unions are hiring perhaps a chief experience officer or a chief lending officer that actually comes from outside financial services, in the case of experience officers especially, and they bring new thinking, perhaps some retail thinking, to how we do business. I think that's really healthy. I think it's great to blend our wonderful credit union world with You said it very well earlier, when you're trying to make a cake, you can't only use flour. Right. That's what you said. We've got to have lots of ingredients. I look at the talent piece of our picture as requiring lots of different ingredients. Our leadership team shouldn't just be made up of credit union executives who've been in the industry for 20 years. They should have a sprinkling of ingredients that allow for lateral thought and thinking differently as you just advocated. A lot of it comes down to people, Josh, as we said at the very beginning. You
1: have to bear with me on this one. My wife says I use car analogies too much, but (laughs) I grew up in a car family and building hot rods in the garage. And so a lot of my examples come back to this, but I've been a big car fan for forever. And you know, I was recently watching, so Chevrolet did a complete revamp on the Corvette and their new model year. Is now a mid-engine car. It's designed to compete with European supercars, but at an American price point. And they really wanted to just completely revamp the platform. And I was watching a video where they were interviewing some of the engineers on the car. And the one that really stuck out to me was the interior designer. And you know where he came from? Apple? Nike. Oh, Nike. There you go. He was a shoe designer. Wow. He'd never worked in automotive ever, but they brought him in and they said, hey, look, you've been designing shoes that have cult level following. Design a cool interior that people would like in a car, right? So it's just an example of an industry saying, look, I don't know if I would want to drive a car that was built solely by a guy who'd only ever built shoes. Like we'd probably want some people that know <laughs> how to build cars, know a thing or two about brakes, But having some of that, like you said, sprinkled in and saying, hey, we've got somebody who's spent 25 years in the automotive industry designing chassis.
0: Yes. But we've also got a guy who designed Jordans. I love it. What a great story. And I was listening to you there and, and thinking about a client of mine, Josh, a CEO who took me to the airport last year very kindly in a Tesla, really drives a Tesla. When I sat inside that Tesla, I couldn't believe the interior design of it. I mean, first of all, it's just a massive screen, you know, like a big iPad that you're looking at. And a lot of things that we're used to in those cars that you love so passionately didn't exist, right? And they're not inside the vehicle. And the thing also drives itself if you need it to. It's phenomenal, by the way. Wouldn't trust that, but not yet. but It anyway.
1: terrifies the economy. <laughs> but,
0: but Josh, five years ago, right? Who'd have thought that a guy from nowhere called Elon Musk could basically reinvent an industry knowing nothing about it, right? Mm-hmm. Really didn't know anything about it, just understood brilliant engineering and technology and applied that knowledge to the auto industry. With all the big folks now responding and trying to get on the electric vehicle craze, which is great. But again, the catalyst, a little bit like your story, the catalyst was somebody who thought differently about an industry. Yeah. And how on earth, where is the logic in Tesla being valued at a trillion dollars market cap? I mean, where does that come from? Well, it comes from hope, <laughs> enthusiasm of investors, and suddenly this company is worth what it's worth. It's an amazing story. So know th- love your point about different ingredients needed to bake the cake. What's well, funny. This episode ended up taking a
1: turn. I didn't think that this is where we were going to go when we first booked you as a guest. And I'm, I'm Well, you really never gave me any questions, so I had no idea where it was going to go. <laughs> but that's what's so fun about this. And that's what I love about it is, you know, when we get an opportunity to just talk so unscripted, it is really interesting where the conversation ends up. And, you know, if I look back on just what we've talked about, like I said, I, this is not where I thought we would go, but it's interesting to see... When we talk so much about this world of digital transformation and community financial institutions and how we need to be looking at and approaching this for future viability's sake, I feel like I can almost sum it up in, it does. It has to be that culture of a desire to do things different, but put through the lens of a community FI, wanting to be unique in the way that they are relentless in their pursuit of serving their membership, and you've got to have that balance of understanding of the traditional financial ecosystem. And then you got to throw some wackadoodles in there with some crazy ideas and just
0: empower them, support them. I think I want you to come to every strategy session I do with the credit union and say what you just said, Josh, because <laughs> I, I thought that was spot on. And it really does begin with thinking differently. You're absolutely right. Man, Mark, you have just
1: really... Melted my brain into the floor after this (laughs) episode. It's just fascinating to hear the way that you think and communicate about how credit unions can be looking at, you know, this very tangible technology element that's coming in as either a helper or disruptor, but also how that marries with just the culture and the people side of things. This has just been fascinating. I really appreciate your thought process.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure and and thank you for the opportunity. Really, you know, I'm a slides and notes guy, right, Josh? I got to know what I'm going to say. And you said, hey, you're going to go out there, man, expose, be vulnerable here. I'm not going (laughs) to tell you anything. And it ended up being a wonderful conversation.
1: Well, before I let you go, I think it's very obvious through this episode that, like you just said, you are somebody who likes to have the facts, the info, the data. So- Mark, I'd love to know, where do you go to stay up to date on what's happening in our industry? Do you have any great resources you'd like to share?
0: Oh my gosh, what a question. In fact, a a true story, a CEO, Mike Lord of State Employees Credit Union, who recently retired, Josh, as the big State Employees Credit Union in North Carolina, sent me an email a year and a half or so ago, and he said, hey, what do you read? How come you know all this stuff whenever you come and talk to us? And I sent him a list via email of what I read, and he wrote back, I'm sorry I asked. It was a pretty big list and it forced me to actually have the discipline to write down what I read. So I read the credit union media, of course. I read financial brand. I read the Wall Street Journal, the financial times. I try to do my best to read the quality financial press. But what I also love to do in time that I really don't have, Josh, is read things that educate me about other industries. Mm-hmm. I'm rereading a book right now that's almost 30 years old. It's remarkable. It's called Paradigms. And it was published in 1993. And it was written by a guy called Joel Barker. And I'm rereading it because I've read it about five times in my life. And it's The Business of Discovering the Future. That's what Joel writes about. It is the most brilliant book. And it talks about paradigm changes in our industry. And I just finished rereading a book called Being Digital. That was written by a guy called Nick Negroponte from MIT years ago, over 20 years ago, when he tried to talk about how digital was going to play a meaningful role in our future. As old as those books are, Josh, they still bring meaningful lessons and principles to us. So I used Google. I, you know, you used a phrase with me when we first met at GAC in person, serial Googler, I guess I am a serial Googler. I love to find out things about industry and 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 trends, and of course I stay true to NCUA data and other sort of fact based data, even on the banking side, FDIC reports, etc. So I read a lot, Josh. Probably. Too I was going to
1: say, I see why your CEO friend responded the way he did. <laughs> I don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't. You, you all don't that have stuff. time
1: for it, but man, no. hi, You've got some very efficient skills, my friend. Yeah, well, what's great for me, which is kind of odd, is
0: I like the next Netflix show as much as anyone, but when I sit on a plane and travel, which I do a lot, I love to just read and catch up on yeah. what's going on, you know?
1: That's funny that you say that. I'm a big fan of using, a lot of folks, you know, like to watch movies and things on flights, and I love to use it to work and especially yes. to do my research because yes. I'm one of those ADHD people that just get sidetracked. Hey, I do this, I do that, and on the plane, I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're jumping out of the metal tube at 30,000 feet, you're really not going anywhere. So it forces me to sit down and actually pay attention, which is good. That's exactly right. Well, hey, I have one final question for you, sir. And that is, if folks would like to learn a little bit more about you, connect with you, or even learn a little bit more about your business, where can they
0: go to connect with
1: you? Where can they go to learn more?
0: Oh, great. One word, Google. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Josh, I'm just kidding with you. So uh, apart from Google... My website is Civrite and Associates, so A-N-D, Associates.com. and that's a great venue to learn more about what I do, some of the folks that I'm privileged to work with, and some of my clients also.
1: And you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well.
0: I am. I try to be. I discovered that LinkedIn has kind of become the Facebook of business, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure sometimes whether I'm using LinkedIn appropriately, you know, times times the way it was designed to be used, so I try not to put too much out there. I don't put any vacation snaps on there, Josh, but I keep it business focused. And I try to be selective in what I post. So I try to do my part.
1: You know, I have a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. <laughs> I know the recipe. You want to get a million likes, stage a video of you helping a grandma cross the street with her groceries <laughs> and post it in hashtag service. And I'm like, oh, it's so obvious that stage that it's your grandma. It's not some random grandma you ran into. Like, <laughs> <but> <laughs> Exactly. It has a place. Absolutely. Mark, it's just been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's such a jovial, fun person to interact with. Uh, you have such great insight and I really appreciate your perspective. So thank you so much for carving some time out of your evening to spend with me and discuss how we can be better about positioning our industry for the future. So thank you so incredibly much.
0: Oh, well, you're very welcome, Josh. And it's been a real honor. I mean, it's amazing to me that this isn't your day job. I mean, you're doing this as well as a million other things. You're really, really good at it. So Josh, I appreciate. Very humbled by
1: that. Thank you. I I think it's quickly become one of the favorite things that I get to do. And it's because I get to meet folks like you and I, I do I really, really value having conversations with people with different perspectives and different ideas. And this just gives such a great forum for that. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that very much.
0: Oh, you're very kind. My pleasure. Thanks,
1: Josh. All right, Mark. Well, I appreciate you and we'll see you again. All right, sir. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Digital Banking Podcast powered by Typhoon. Find more episodes on digitalbankingpodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Typhoon. Everyone builds features. Not everyone builds relationships. We build both.